Writing well is the pursuit of a lifetime. You may be at mile marker one of this wonderful life journey and thinking for the first time about embracing the life of a writer. Or maybe you're further along and ready to publish some of your ideas. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are fellow travelers on this extended road trip to improve our writing and publish our ideas. We hope this podcast helps you make progress on your writing journey. Now, let's buckle up and write. One of the most memorable days for an author, especially a first-time author, is the book launch party. It's a celebration of the hours, days, months, maybe even years that an author has devoted to writing their book. A book launch party, however, is more than a party. It's a strategic move where your word of mouth marketing begins. So just as with your book, it's worth putting effort into both its planning and its execution. And it also means getting creative. Today, we are happy to have Virginia Friskorn, the founder and CEO of Party Trick with us to help you plan for and execute a killer book launch party. Virginia has spent over 14 years in the event industry, establishing herself as one of the country's most prestigious event planners. She's here today to give an insider's pro take on creating a book launch event that goes off without a hitch and is memorable for your guests. Welcome, Virginia, to our podcast. Melissa, thank you so much for having me here. I'm thrilled to chat today. It's going to be so much fun. You're going to offer so many insights. As we start off this interview, can you give us a little bit of background into your expertise, how you got into event planning and what your businesses are specifically? So I have spent the last almost 16 years professionally planning a ton of different events from multi-million dollar weddings down to picnics, almost anything in between. It has just kind of come naturally to me. I kind of fell into it. My family entertained a ton and I launched my first business, I don't know, when I was like 23. Now I look back and I knew nothing. And it was amazing because you launch something when you don't know and you take all the risks. It's a harder later. But all of this has led to the new company, which is called Party Trick. And Party Trick at its core, it's a software company, but we're really all about providing all the content to make hosting enjoyable easy and effective and efficient. So lots of ease there. A lot of times people host, but they don't know why they're hosting or they host with a goal in mind, for instance, like a book launch, but they don't design the event for it to be actually like that successful. They just like, oh, I should do X, Y, and Z. So Party Trick's all about making the process smooth, easy, and accessible to all in a really easy, navigatable fashion. When you say it's a software business, what do I mean? Yeah. We're like a virtual party planner in your pocket. So we have an app. We're a digital platform. We offer value kind of in a ton of different ways. So it's not just on the app itself. But yes, we are an application. It's a subscription-based business. And you get access to, again, the app, all of our various channels to kind of get education as well as kind of planning tools and tips along the way. Can you tell us what is different in kind between a book event and some of the other types of parties that you have a deep background in? I mean, I think there's so much that's different. 
because it, it, by nature, it's a little bit more intentional. It's not, Hey, let's just get their friends and have a fun time. It's really about kind of sharing this experience with the intention of either launching the book, sharing the book or sharing kind of a pivotal moment in the author's life. And I feel like that allows it to have a bit more structure. And so sometimes events can kind of go on and on. If it's what wild, crazy thing can we do just for a novelty factor? Whereas whether it's a book launch or again, a book club, it can be a little bit more narrowly focused, which also makes it easier to plan, in my opinion. What are some of the common pitfalls that authors face when they say, I'm going to host a book launch party? What have you seen people do that's just not productive at all? I think people overthink events a lot. I think, again, it comes down to, are your guests comfortable and are they having a good time? What are the things that go into people being comfortable? Food and beverage and comfortable like venues. So do people have a place to sit? Is there a bathroom? Things that aren't actually like, hey, let me bring in an element of surprise for this. It was go back to the basics. Basic food, it doesn't have to be over the top. People don't remember. Enough beverage, alcoholic and non-alcoholic. People often forget non-alcoholic beverages and making that interesting. So again, these are kind of core essential things. I find if you're not hosting a ton, people forget about them a lot. And especially in this environment with book book clubs and authors, because it's not their space as much. And keeping something tight and succinct. So do a start time and an end time and have kind of a clear program throughout it. And so when people don't follow those, guests don't know what to expect. And then they get a little bit uneasy. So you can always layer in an element of surprise, but having a guest show up and if you want them to sell, buy a book or engage in conversation, it's almost like a little primer. This is what is going to happen. And if you don't provide that structure, things can go south pretty quickly and people walk away like, okay, cool, but on to the next, right? It's not meaningful. Uh, it's not a meaningful experience. How do you set those expectations? Is it in the invite leading up to the event, what they can expect? Is that how you prepare people or how else can you prepare people? And I think it feels so strange sometimes to say, hey, here's the flow of the event. But I do think subtly layering in that bit of information in the invitation, in kind of any emails that are leading up to an event is more appreciated now, probably wouldn't have been appropriate 10 years ago. So yeah, in the invitation, hey, you know, we're going to do a book launch. It'll be at a, this coffee shop at this bookstore, a kid's store, if it's a kid's book, just a different venue of sorts and say, you know, we're going to have cocktails followed by a quick reading, followed by a Q&A. It doesn't say we're doing this from 6 to 6.15, 6 6.15 to 6.45, but it does subtly mention the flow of the event. A lot of times also people don't put the end time because there isn't really an end time. I do find putting an end time actually guarantees people get there closer to start time. So for those events that you've gone to in the past that just kind of people are really slow to arrive and then it feels like it's gone on too long. If you bookend it and say, hey, it starts at six, ends at eight, people will show up closer to six and it'll be kind of a more vibrant group. People like roles more than we realize. What's the difference between and I know you get into this, but on, on a real basic level, the difference between an online event and a physical event for an author. I think there, there's such different structures in terms of online events tend to be shorter, right? So you 
can promote a little bit more because people forget a lot about online events. They remember if they're going. So when you're doing an online event, it's really important to remember to like send calendar reminders, do more touch points on social media that this is happening when it's going to happen. It's off people's radar. Whereas if they're planning to leave their house to go to something, it tends to kind of get a little bit more weight. So from an online event, like when you're planning it, it requires a little more pre-planning. I find they're a little bit shorter typically. You know, if it's a live or a webinar or what have you, you have people's attention for a shorter span of time. So plan it with a shorter, knowing that you have a shorter attention span, right? I also with online and in, in person, this would be a similarity. I always, if you're doing a Q&A after, get some of your author friends or get some of your close friends and family or to, to basically prep questions in advance to get people rolling, right? So like after you've done a reading, if you are opening things up to Q&A, or it's a more guided discussion, plant some of those questions that you want in the audience with some of your clothes. And you can do that online. The gap between, you know, a, a reading or kind of a, a, that conversation to Q&A online can be a little bit awkward. It, the benefit is that you can kind of poke questions in when, when the launch is actually going on. But then there's always that like pregnant pause after. So making sure you have help from friends, have help from fellow authors, it's a really good thing to do online. You mentioned in your previous answer that it's all right to have an element of surprise at live events, for instance. What would that be? Can you give an example of what an element of surprise might be at a live event for a book signing or a book launch? I love leaning into themes. So say, for instance, it's like a kid's book and the primary character is a pig. Could you have something in a drink or could you have someone dressed up in a funny pig costume walk through at some point? Something that sounds like cheesy, but it actually works. It's very memorable. And so when you have that element of surprise, it anchors your guests and they remember more than just, oh, we had a cocktail party. So again, something a little bit novel but not the structure of the events novel. So again, someone in costume, get everyone up and like, if there's a dancing component, like it's weird, but get everyone to stand up and do do some sort of a dance if, the, if it's incorporated in the book. In like a fictional book, what a scene is like, maybe like replicate it, do a visual behind. So those are all little elements of surprise. I think food's an easy way for doing light bites to theme it, that it's not just, hey, here's like a charcuterie platter and create a table board. Which is great. And that's actually the easiest thing to do, keeping it simple. And people don't always remember the food, but there's one novel thing. And I do think it's it, it can sometimes borderline be cheesy, but it works. So can you tell me what in your mind classifies a book launch event as successful? Meaning it's not just about having friends around to celebrate you. That's obviously one component of it. But in my mind, a book launch event is really to get people excited about sharing your book. And so I'm wondering, how do you incorporate that into the event? Is there an ask in the party at the event? How can you get people excited to actually start getting your book out into the world? I mean, I think obviously the core, successful if you sell books and get people talking, right? But I think it's successful to get people sharing. Sharing and engagement is the most important thing after So I definitely think finish it with an ask, but help those people that you're asking. So I've seen a lot of book club guides from publishers. I think they're pretty weak, personally. They are hard to follow. 
And I think sometimes they're okay, but if you are doing a book launch and you know that the goal is to get people to share and talk about the book, maybe do a book club around it or do a reading party or whatever it may be following, give them a slightly more beefed up version and then try to engage everyone after. Loop back. Most people don't do a lot with follow-up. So the success is going to be contingent upon the follow-up. If people walk away and they're like, wow, that was a great party, but they don't share. Yeah, maybe you sold some books you got, but how can you keep them engaged? So ask them, follow up, see if they did it. How can you help them? It's a lot, but it it works, right? Like you want to get your friends, you want them to be your expanders. So give your expanders the tools that will set them up for success. And I think again, going back to like putting on the type of book, book club right now, something very trendy is reading parties. So it's not actually read the book and come and discuss it. Because a lot of times people don't do that. It's actually getting people together and for the first 30 minutes, reading together in a room with friends and then socializing and discussing. And everyone's at a slightly different point, probably, but at least they're reading. So say that again. So I have two young kids. I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. And I think of a lot of my like, quote unquote, mommy friends who book clubs are not about the book, right? It's about getting them together with your girlfriends and having a glass of wine. In my opinion, like that totally defeats the purpose. Read the great book. Now, it's hard to make that happen. What's trending now, and this is probably where this came from, groups of people are getting together. This is actually very like Gen Z as well. They're getting together, they're reading for 30 minutes, and then they're going into socializing. Because that the purpose is to read, not just socialize. And to have that like guided conversation So it's a different way that if you're finding it's hard to get your book out and actually get these book clubs going, try to suggest that people do these reading parties instead. It gets people reading. I published a book, gosh, it was probably 15 years ago. It was kind of pre-social media or right when social media was coming out. And I did a ton of events. For example, there was a local Barnes & Noble that I became friends with the manager. So we hosted at least two events, but then he was a, just a big promoter of the book. And I think that that store alone sold like two to 300 copies. But one of the things I've noticed, sometimes those events are pretty scarcely attended. How do you get the right number of people there? And is five enough? And, and do you wait once people come to actually do the event? I think some of it depends on what the structure is. It a midday? Is it an evening? Where is it hosted? How many people based on what size space, right? So if you're in a larger space, you need more people. Otherwise, it's going to feel really awkward, comfortable. The time, same thing. Again, if it is a later in the day, you know that you're going to do like heavier food. You want another element other than, you know, something that's going to be 30 minutes and people get out like in the middle of the day. I would kind of structure structure the timing and the days differently. In terms of engaging a crowd and making sure you fill, now obviously social media is huge, right? Email list is going right. to be huge. I think it's really, in this case, obviously you had the bookstore itself kind of help promote and be a big proponent of you. I love doing something again, a little bit different. So for instance, one of my good friends has this coffee shop in Brooklyn that they go to all the time. And it has the, the has a cult following. They do like drag bingo one night and they do a lot of actually book launches there because some authors will go and it's their spot. And so it builds a community. It's a community event 
in something other than a bookstore. I think it's really hard. And I hate saying this, but I do think it's hard sometimes getting people in a bookstore. And so how do you find a place that has that cult following already and leverage that to, to build the audience in a different way? And it also may be a different audience than what you might've tapped into. And that's great from an expansion perspective. Similarly, if you can invite an author, maybe you don't, if you're in a different city doing a launch and it's not your place where it's your common network and your book is, I'm going to use another kid's example. Like it's a book about mermaids. It's a children's book with mermaids. If you know there's someone in that area who's done a book that's similar, can you just DM them on Instagram, get their audience and then let partner and cross pollinate audiences? That's a really big and helpful thing. So I have two authors that write for me for party trick parties. They both do kids books and they also on the side, they love hosting events. So for our parties on our party trick platform, these authors who've both published a lot of books, they, I, I talked to them a little bit as well. And I'm like, what's worked for you? And that was one of the tips that for this author, she lives in California. She writes a tons of kids books. That has been really, she, like, I think verbatim, she said, I've literally never had someone say no when she says, hey, I loved your mermaid book. I have one coming out soon. Would you be interested in a conversation with me for the launch? And then promote it on social as well as like a unique venue and get audience in that way. That's so interesting. That takes a mindset shift where you don't, where people don't see others as competition, but as people who can help you mutually grow. I think, again, it's that cross-promotional component. I think, again, a lot of people are, it's, it's, it's less about the competition. It's more about the camaraderie. And I think if it's positioned that way, I'm going to help you if you help me and we can kind of cross-pollinate. It, it, again, it's shifting mindsets. I think some people are going to be able to do it, some aren't. But I, we have that a lot with actually even like our brand with Party Trick. We'll go in with other companies and we'll share our audience with their audience. Technically, they're both kind of like in some of these would be even in an event space. I'm doing a partnership with one right now. Someone's like, well, isn't that direct competition? I was like, no, not really. We kind of all help each other. We all rise together. So what is your view on the combination of in real life events and online events? How do you blend those or how, what's the ratio that you should have? Or is it really dependent upon the person in their audience? I think it's dependent upon, again, the topic, the person, their audience. I think it's great to maximize and try both. You don't never know what is going to be most successful. And again, I think so much in life is about testing and pivoting. So do it all and see where your audience or see where your, not essentially see where your audience is, is, is finding you and actually where you're getting that traction. Maybe you think it's on in person. Most are in person are, are more successful from what it, I have seen them from what I've heard as well. But I also think there's there's a way to make online a great follow-up and multiple touch points. I find, as you guys probably know, it takes like 15 to 20 touch points before people make their decisions, like consumer decisions. So you have to, that's a lot of, you go to an in-person event and you see it followed up online. You might just see whether, again, it's a live or a structured kind of webinar of sorts. You've got to do it all to make it work and, and multiple touch points for different, it, it expands your audience as well. 
That's so important. I have a friend who recently launched a book and she did a big book launch event and she followed a lot of your recommendations. She had a starting time and ending time, had beverages, food, had a little bit of a program in advance. And it was great. It was really successful. And she actually had two different times. So she got a wave of people for the first hour and a half and then a second wave for the second hour and a half, which was really great. The challenge is that's just one event and you have to build on that. And I love that idea that you shared earlier of having book club questions so you can engage people maybe in an online book club where you're actually engaging the content of your book with with questions or, or other ways to have a webinar, another instructional type event. But it's to build on that primary event is what I hear you saying. There are those broadcast channels right now. So again, everyone is trying to build their personal brand and companies are building. And I think a broadcast channel is a really interesting way to kind of keep that going. So if someone's coming to an in-person event, try to get them to follow you on social, create a broadcast channel, and then pipe in little added value components that are book club related once a month. People are seeing it over and over. They're eventually going to do it. So that's a great, easy way to kind of another outlet to pursue. And it's the same content that you might be sharing in an email, whatever the whatever your kind of outreach structure is. Can you describe for our audience what a broadcast channel is? So broadcast channels specifically on Instagram, if you are following a person, a brand, they can create almost like a group, except within this group, you have to opt in, you can opt in and opt out. And typically it's not a ton of people talking and engaging. So it's not like jumping into a group chat where there's a lot of banter and noise. So whomever is setting up the broadcast channel, so say for instance, I have one on Party Trick, and then I am broadcasting every Tuesday, there's a mocktail recipe on Thursday, it's a new playlist. If you are subscribed to my channel, again, you are going to get this in your DMs. It doesn't come up anywhere else, but you will get a DM from Party Trick saying, here's your cocktail of the week. Here's your mocktail of the week. And it's an opportunity to guarantee that people are actually going to see. It's your super fans. It's not just people who follow you. Because if you look at the number of people that follow you on social, like 4 to 10% actually see what you post. This is a guaranteed structure way to make sure your followers see what you are posting in a lighter lift fashion than sending out via MailChimp or Clavier or whatever out- outreach you're doing. Have you had much success with that? They're still relatively new. For us, our strategy with that is really about value additions versus conversion. So I I have a handful of people I subscribe to. Some I subscribe and then I get off right away. But I think it's a really interesting way of like staying top of mind for people. It's really about staying again, top of mind. And it it can be more, I don't know, I I would go with something that is going to not necessarily feel salesy. It's 100% about something that was your inspiration behind why you wrote the book, something that was helpful, whether it's a mindset, inspiration, a quick behind the scenes tidbit about you as an author, or a tip for a book club that's going to keep going. And that kind of is, again, community engagement, which will then help with those online events. And again, staying front of mind so that it doesn't just launch and then it falls flat, right? Like you want to keep an engaged audience on and on, getting them to share. How do you think about social media for your business party trick? For me, and we do a lot with SMS marketing as well. People don't like emails anymore. No one reads their emails anymore. It's not true, but globally, like it's going down and down, especially with younger audiences, that email is not getting read. 
So I look at broadcast channels and SMS in a very similar fashion. They are not meant to say, hey, we're doing a flash sale. Hey, we are trying to get you, buy my book now. It is 20% off. Buy X, Y, and Z, right? It's really about getting that loyalty. Everything is about that brand loyalty and a person or company, even a book, those become brands. And so it's becoming, you know, a champion of that less so. I mean, people know when you're trying to sell them something. So it's remove any of the salesy tactics away. Anything where you can actually activate your audience where they're like, oh, I'm getting some value from this. I learned something new. This is so much fun. Those are sort of things that then create that brand loyalty, which ultimately creates customers and will get people talking about you, the book, sharing it with their friends on and on. That's ongoing. So it's like a nice online launch over and over and over. I love that idea. Such a great, great idea. Can you give any advice to our listeners who struggle with the idea of being in the spotlight? Because if you're launching a book and it's a book launch event, it's about you, right? And you're probably going to have to talk a little bit about yourself in the book. And what are some strategies or tips for helping authors step outside of their comfort zone in these launch parties? So I'll share a little personal experience here. I really don't like being in the spotlight. I'm a middle child. I've worked in service almost my entire life. I'm the one who wears, for those of you, like, if you can't see, I'm wearing black right now. I'm in black in the shadows directing people, typically on headset, right? So like an author, I like to hide behind my computer or hide behind wherever it is. And with this company, with Party Trick, so much of it is coming out and promotion and promotion and promotion. And it's leaning into something that you're wildly uncomfortable doing over and over. So remember with the book launch, and even if it's just a personal thing, it's about the brand. Yes, it's about you. You wrote it. It's about the book. It's about you. But lean into the book so it takes some of the pressure off. Again, I feel like it's hard to disconnect the book from yourself sometimes because you put your heart and soul into it. But if you can remember, yes, you're going to share something quick, practice, practice, practice in front of friends, do anything to get you outside of your comfort zone in advance to prime. So for instance, it's again, like making your bed in the morning, right? You make your bed in the morning. It sets you up with a, a first little bit of success for the day. And then the momentum rolls. So get yourself in advance of that book club or in advance of the book launch, doing some uncomfortable things, talking in public in a way that you would not normally, because by the time it rolls around, you're going to be comfortable. So it's, a, again, practice makes perfect and, and find weird outlets, do those lower risk things first. But also remember, if you were going to say something and you don't say it, no one remembers. Like they don't know what you were supposed to say. I used to tell this to like my big clients from like a wedding and events perspective. No one knew that this was supposed to happen at that time or that the flowers were supposed to be purple instead of pink, whatever, right? Like, you know, and you know that you're supposed to say something, but unless you share that with your audience, oh my God, I'm so sorry. There were so many mistakes. No one knows their mistakes. They know they're having a great time. If you are calm and confident, your guests will be calm and confident. And that is like, that goes into success. So a lot of it's just mindset. And practice more than it is actually the content. You mentioned having that surprise factor at events, but I'm wondering if you could also give us some ideas for content at events. You've already mentioned a few, but what are some of the most creative content ideas that you've seen at book launch events? Or what what are some things that you could recommend to authors when they're saying, like, what should I really do at this book launch launch event? Depending on the topic, again, I like leaning into a theme. So 
I'm thinking of a book that is kind of circusy. It was a great book that I love. If you could have like a tarot card reader in a corner. Yes, you have your reading, have something. Again, that's not really how you structure it, but it actually, it can be part of how you structure. If you bring in a vendor, even low lift, like it can be very inexpensive that leans into the theme. Yes, come in, socialize, mingle, but have, whether it's like a tarot card or someone who's drawing caricature or whatever it might be, something a little off, then question and answer, uh, read, question and answer, and then go into cocktail mode. I do think having that similar structure is really good, but if you can bring something different from a format, meaning almost also like I shared earlier, this is like a funny Tony Robbins thing, right? Get everyone up and get them jumping and dancing and then get them back down. One, it re-engages people in a sleepy environment, a little bizarre and a little uncomfortable for everyone. It's a hard thing to ask, but then everyone's in it together. And then there's camaraderie and community because you all feel the same thing. It elicits the same feeling. So whether again, you're bringing in a vendor, you're getting everyone to stand, maybe you get if everyone's seated or everyone comes in and they grab a note card and whether it's a giveaway, but they, they write something meaningful and then it goes and there's a drawing. I'm just thinking of some things that where you can actually get people slightly more engaged, like, or get everyone to draw what they think their book cover could have been. Like that's a little hard, but something along those lines are scrapbooking, vision boarding, and like all things that go like that. It, I mean, th- there's so many different ways it could go based on what your topic of the book is. I mean, this is a little wacky out there, but imagine, again, imagine it's a kid's book and it's like farm animals. How funny would it be to have, and again, this goes into the flow because you could pepper in questions and like ask what you think. You hold one of those little face masks that you might use in a photo booth. So you might hold up a face mask that you'd have in a photo booth of a cow and then here's a pig, whatever. This is not applicable for many types of books. I totally get that. But the author could almost engage the crowd by saying, hey, if you think this is going to be this, raise, you know, raise your, not raise your paddle, but like raise your mask. Again, these are not intended to be direct suggestions that you do this. It's to spark the idea that there's no right or wrong way. And if you do engage your audience, Versus just like looking at them on the other side of a stage, it tends to be more impactful and memorable. What I hear you saying is push for creativity and push for engagement. It's not just you speaking to a crowd and saying, here's my book. Here's why I read it. I wrote it. And here's why you should buy it. Right? It's not, it's not purely transactional, but it's about engagement and deepening a relationship. I love those ideas. And we work with a lot of nonfiction writers, and I would imagine that it's they would think it's a little bit more difficult to be creative in the, in non-fiction the nonfiction realm. capacity. Totally. I don't know if you have any ideas that have worked with nonfiction writers that you are aware of. I mean, I think you can always, it, it may be a little bit inappropriate, but play into that. And hey, what if this had happened in a different way, like in reality, right? Like if it's a a historical nonfiction component, and what if this had happened, try to get someone to jump out and say, I'm trying to think of a good example here, but a result of a war, or maybe it was an election, right? Someone's doing, and then, and and pepper them, Q&A them as well, instead of just being the author who's Q&A'd. And again, that's a little bit creative, like, how could the book have, how would reality have turned out? Obviously, this is reality. What would have happened had the person taken the left turn instead of the right? 
and get them to go off into. Because again, you're engaging and trying to think outside the box, which is memorable and that imprints much more deeply than, hey, I went and like you said, here's why I wrote the book. Here's my favorite component of it. Like, go buy it, please share it with your friends. People don't remember that. Again, you want that little bit of like where, where people are going to remember you. What is the difference between planning for a multi-million dollar wedding and a book event? Emotion. Candidly, the stakes are not that, I, I, this isn't to belittle in any way, but like the stakes aren't as high. And I think this goes to, if it is a flop, do it again, right? Like it's one event and you have the ability with a book launch to have a ton of them. So you have one and do it as a soft launch. If it fails, what does that mean? Nothing. You actually just got your first step in and you're learning and you're, you can pivot and create from there. So I feel like every event has some of the same categories. What is it going to look like? What are the details, right? So there's planning, design, and execution. Every event, no matter what, a Taco Tuesday with your family to a multi-million dollar wedding. What's the food? What's the beverage? What's the music? How are you inviting people? What does it look like? What does it feel like? So are you buying flowers? Are you DIYing a balloon wall? How it looks is going to be the same. I also in design throw in some interesting things. And here's a like little pro hack. I think about all five senses when I think about design. It's not just like, what are the flowers? But again, when you're designing a space, what's the temperature? What are you doing for guest comfort? Does it smell weird? How can you overcome that? And this sounds crazy, but we used to scent in large-scale events, I've, and I actually would do it in small as well, scent places. So if it was really smelly, bring coffee, like a small thing of coffee or baking soda, put it underneath. You can pull smells. You can scent places with lavender. Don't go heavy. Like you don't want to be that. But those are going to be the same. So again, design, details, and then the production or execution. Every event has those three components. The difference is where are you spending your money? What is the priority? And what is the goal? Like, is the goal just fun? Is the goal get engagement and sell books? The goal is just, I want to make tonight a little bit more special than any other night. If you think about those three things, you're going to have your bases covered. And then if it doesn't go the way you planned, or if you feel like it was maybe a failure, then you go back and you assess where, where it went wrong or where you could improve, what pieces were missing and try it again. And typically, if you've contemplated all of those, one or two pieces missing, it's not going to be a deal breaker, right? No one's going to remember that like the playlist wasn't turned on right when they walked in the door or that something, again, this is like a good at-home example. Like if you were doing something like a, a book launch, almost in a home environment, if you left something in the fridge and didn't pull out one of the hors d'oeuvres, right? No one knows. If as long as there are some food, you're fine. But maybe this one key component didn't make it out. Don't say, oh, crap, I forgot X, Y, and Z, right? So contemplate everything, food, bev, music, how you're inviting, what it looks like. No one remembers those little pieces. They remember, they, they, it's how it feels. You set, as the host, you set the tone of that a lot. There's a really good book called The Power of Moments. I recommend it. It is all about how we have the ability to structure moments. And it can come down to something of like, what is your onboarding experience when you're hiring someone? And they actually go on with a case study about John Deere and how they have one of the best onboarding. And it's an opportunity to create a moment that is impactful. Similarly, like I've lost my father. He passed two and a half years ago. And how people handle that situation 
from the business perspective, like how does the car dealer that my dad had a lease, how did he deal with my stepmom? They handled it exceptionally well. They for like they they basically are like, you do whatever. And when you're ready, just turn it back in. We don't care. We won't do like bill you at all because everything, you know, changes and freezes. So it was this whole unique process. I think about that book in almost every element, whether it's an event, whether it's when I'm bringing an employee on or sending them away, how do we craft moments with intention? I love that. This has been such a great conversation, Virginia. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to see what our authors do with your advice and how they execute their next book launch party. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks, Dave. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to chat. All right, Dave, let's turn to our words of the episode. I've been going first, so I want you to go first this week. Okay, mine is untrammeled. Untrammeled, untrammeled, which has the idea of not being deprived of your freedom of action or expression. You're not restricted, hampered. So it's basically being able to live your life kind of as you want. I mean, that's one application of it. So it'd be, here's a, it'd be a life untrammeled by convention or a marriage untrammeled by children. <laughs> I don't Ooh, have, that sounds good. <laughs> I have a marriage trammeled by children. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I love my kids. <laughs> but so untrammeled, not deprived of freedom of action or expression. Do you know where that popped up in your reading this past week? I was listening to this Peter the Great I'll be listening to this book for the next six months because it's 43 hours, right? I thought so, you were going to say till the day you die. That's yeah, how so it it's 43 <laughs> hours. So I'm, I'm reading like, I always, I'm in the process six to 10 books, right? Always. And that one, I, I just, it's going to be a long road. But it's really interesting. It's about Peter the Great. And I think it was Untrammeled. It was referring to, he was just this, he was kind of a cowboy. He was this Russian czar who kind of lived a life without consequences. He was six, seven, long flowing hair, and he was an innovator and he would do all sorts of things. So he was really untrammeled. I think that's where I got the word untrammeled by convention, what a czar should do. That's where I got the, I got the word. It's a great word. It's different than saying in many words, not deprived of freedom or action, right? It, it, I love right. it when a word can sum up so many words. My word of the episode is wanton, which the primary definition is deliberate and unprovoked. And I've always thought of it in the terms of sexually unrestrained or having many casual sexual relationships. You hear that a lot. Like That's when, what I thought that when you said that, I thought that's immediately what I thought. Like she had, she was wanton and and got the attention that she deserved, something like that, right? That that was how I always thought of it. But the primary definition is an oh. adjective, which means deliberate and unprovoked. So here's an example. Her husband's angry words were wanton, deliberate and unprovoked. Oh. That's not a great sentence. But basically, he yelled at her even though she didn't do anything to provoke it and did so deliberately to make a point. So so it does convey a sense of, so the, when you say deliberate and unprovoked, yeah, it has this idea that it's not harmful, but it's a little bit negative. It does feel negative to me. So interesting how our words 
kind of parallel, at least the second the the second version of wanton, unrestrained with your not yeah. deprived of freedom. There, there we go. All right. Well, that ends this episode. I am Melissa Parks. And I am Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write. 